welcome to Season 2 of Breaking Free. I'm Rania Kurdi, a confidence life coach, comedian and mother of two. I invite you to join me bi-weekly for confidence tips and interesting chats with my guests who work in fields that help develop confidence. And sometimes with people who have a personal story to share of how they were able to break free from fears that held them back from living their life with confidence and purpose. My guest today is Dawn Kohler. She was an award-winning entrepreneur in the computer industry when she was abruptly summoned to take a life-altering course. What followed was an extraordinary healing journey that gave her profound insights and a deep understanding of the human dynamic and how it plays out at home, work and in our communities. Dawn is the author of three books, including her recent memoir, The Messages, a prophetic journey she experienced 25 years ago and how it has become relevant today. She serves on the board of Step Up, a non-profit organisation to help mentor teen girls in low-income areas and is passionate about the importance of our individual role in supporting the human awakening. Wow, Dawn. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate being here. I love what work that you're doing and uh, the podcasts that I've heard already have been really very heartfelt. So thank you. I've been really eager to talk to you about your memoir, The Messages. It just sounds like such an intense journey that you've been on, this calling that has taken years, it seems, before you actually understood the purpose of this calling. And I'd love for you to share the story of how you came to receive a series of what you experienced as divine messages. And you described it as saying, the self I was born to be decided to hijack the one I created. I mean, that must have been crazy that you'd been living this life, going along very successfully in your business, a mother of three children, married to your high school sweetheart. And suddenly you get this divine message saying, nope, we've got something else for you. What was that like and, and what was it? Well, it was certainly uh, disorienting to say the the least. I, I was really going on and I had, a, you know, a happy life. It wasn't like I was searching. I wasn't unhappy. I had, you know, had three children at the time. I was married to my high school sweetheart. We had started a computer company in our early 20s, uh, sort of the first geek squad, if you will, servicing computers in corporate America. And right place, right time, it took off. And we had um, a really, you know, rapidly growing company. I was enjoying my uh, role as leader in the company and then one day I pulled up to work and my body wouldn't let me get out of the car. I literally could not open the car door. And I knew I was physically able. I knew there was nothing physically wrong with me, but this energy rose inside of me and, and, and just kept me from, from moving. So I fought with myself and I could tell it was an internal battle. And uh, finally, as I sort of exhausted myself there in the car, this message arose and it was like an inaudible voice in my head. And it was very clear and distinct. And it said, this is no longer your way. And at that point I recognized I didn't have a choice to move forward. So I just turned on my car and went home and uh, went to bed. And I thought, okay, what do I do? 
And it took about, you know, a week or, or two of sort of falling into a, a feeling of emptiness and depression. And then I started waking again to the inaudible voices that started leading me. And uh, they led me on a course through very different modalities of therapy. I certainly had a couple primary relationships with therapists at the time. The first one actually uh, had the wherewithal to say, when I told her all the symptoms I was experiencing, she said, well, it sounds like you're having a spiritual awakening, which is, mm. um, you know, I, I thought uh, profound for a therapist who she could have pulled out a whole lot of other diagnoses from her bag. <laughs> Definitely. But she really heard me and listened and said, you know, this is happening to more people. And um, it is sort of a, a, a process that causes us to sort of return to the essence of who we are and find those parts of ourselves that we need to bring forward as our contribution to the world. So uh, it was very much kind of on the lines of the hero's journey. In hindsight, I can look back and, and see some of those stories and they all have similar stages. And, and certainly mine had those similar stages as I went through the process. Mm. So you had the help of the therapist to walk you through these messages and your feelings about the messages. And what, what did that bring up? Well, my first feelings about the messages was they were undeniable, but at the same time, I was secular. I didn't, I, I still don't have any, you know, profound religious beliefs around any of this. Um, it, it, but they were so undeniable because as they led me, they always sort of proved to be true uh, and were very benevolent in kind of showing me the next phase of my healing. The first aspect that really I had to uncover as much as I was telling the therapist, well, I have something to do. These messages are telling me I'm, I'm going someplace to get something. So, you know, I just wanted to know what that was. I wanted to get to the end. And she was uh, very patient with me saying, you know, it doesn't work that way. You have to really kind of go experience what it is that this is bringing up for you, because along with it, it was a lot of depression and a lot of feelings that were not um, congruent with my current life. Uh, the first feelings that were coming up were certainly of um, abandonment. I mean, I, I suddenly was overwhelmed with this feeling like I was isolated and lonely, almost like an orphan in a prison camp is the way I described it to her, because the feelings of being abandoned and isolated were so intense. Now, again, at the time, I've got three kids under the age of five and I've got, you know, a, a lovely husband and home. So they just didn't match. And I said, I don't understand why these feelings are, why I have these feelings. They're just incongruent with my life. And, and that was sort of the first mystery, one of the many mysteries, but that was one of the first ones that kind of led me to look further into my childhood. Hmm. So once you started getting these messages, it was like it opened a door somehow to you feeling the emotions that you'd kept deep inside and put away. Somehow. Yes. You had to deal yes. with them now. Yes. Yeah. It was like I had to go through uh, a cleansing in order to get to the source of the messages. So I knew the messages were leading me to a source. But I didn't really have any idea what that path was going to look like or what I had to go through. 
And in order to return to some sense of true innocence and clarity about uh, who I innately was at birth, I would say that I had to go through all of the ways that I had interpreted the things that I had experienced in my life, particularly abuse uh, from my father that had, mm, I want to say, had had just created adaptations of myself so that really I had become much more of my protective strategies, if you will, than Mm -hmm. I had my innate personality or skills or, um, you know, gifts. I, I was feared away from that. And I really had, had a trajectory, a life based on survival. Yes. And I don't think many of us are aware that that's what we're doing until that's slowly stripped away. And that idea of vulnerability again, bringing up pain is so scary. So it was very brave of you to dive into that again for this bigger purpose of you have to follow these messages that are being given to you. What part of you thought, yes, I must do this because I'm being called rather than rejecting it? Uh, I didn't feel like I had a choice, to be honest with you. Um, It was such a powerful feeling inside of me that was driving me. And it was, again, I didn't have any context for it, but it was cellular. I mean, I knew it was like every cell in my body was going off saying, you're receiving a calling. And I knew it. It was um, primordial knowledge is the best way I can describe it. And I explained it to my husband and, and he was so wonderful and so supportive and he kind of knew it too. You know, when you know a truth and you say a truth and somebody sees it, it's like, I get it. I, mm. I don't understand this, but I, I believe you. And so did the therapist, which was great because it was just undeniable whether they believed me or not, it wouldn't, you know, it was great that I had the support, but it was just cellular. Yeah, uh, I can't yeah. describe it any other way than that. Everything in, inside of me knew. So I was going to, you know, do what it t- took. Also, you know, a, a huge driving force in this was the spiritual awakenings aren't full of love and light as I have experienced anyway. Um, this was something that was, you know, releasing everything that I had withheld inside of me, uh, releasing repressed emotion, releasing repressed memories. And, and it was icky and, dark and difficult to process repression at that level. So I was, you know, I I felt like almost like I had been um, inhaling too much smoke, you know, that kind of icky, thick Mm -hmm. feeling. And that lasted for months and months and months. And I had three young children. I would just you know, look at my children and hold them. And, and I wanted to feel good again. I just wanted to feel good and be back and be an active, loving mom to them and not in therapy twice a week and drudging through my childhood while I'm trying to raise kids. So uh, such a huge motivator was not just, I knew this was driving me for a calling, but I just wanted to feel good for my kids. Yes. But now that you've been through all that and and come out the other end, does it feel worth it and so different compared to when you had those feelings bottled up and 
and shut shut off and you thought you were okay and doing well, if in comparison now you look at it, are you glad you chose to go through it or was it just fine before when you didn't deal with it? Uh, I'm glad I went through it because that was a dead end road. I mean, I shifted at a certain point, but it, it, I couldn't have kept going that way. Something would have happened. Something did happen, obviously. Uh, but I look at that trajectory because when I was thriving in the business in the computer company, my my motivator was to try to prove I was of value. And so I was working you know, long and hard and making big risks and uh, doing what I needed to do to, to, to literally increase my balance sheet, if you will. And so I quantified my value as an individual by the value of my company. I had completely attached my identity and my self-worth to that business. Sooner or later, that was not going to work uh, in one way or another. So I, I'm, couldn't be happier that I, you know, looking back that the course took the course that it did because I couldn't have continued to be successful on that path. When I went through the healing and I experienced, you know, returning to source, if you will, uh, received that calling, my life took off in a very different direction. It was a 180 into a, more of a service-oriented business, which is the coaching. And I just, from the time I start and sat down with my first client, it just felt like it was hitting the sweet spot. You know, I had, I was able to take all the information that I had learned through the process of healing and, and really understanding the human dynamic and when we're coming from an authentic self and when we're coming from a, a survival strategy or a created self. And I'm sitting across from those people and I'm helping them now manage their own trajectory through life. And it felt um, very rewarding and the business took up very quickly. So I knew at that point I was in flow. And, um, and so I was, I, and I'm and much more gratifying and much more satisfying and much more, um, and ex- I'm using much more of an expanded sense of self than sort of the limited self I was using when I was yeah. running the computer company. And I don't think we know that until we feel what the expanded self is to realize that it was limited before. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think of an awakening as an expansion of self. Uh, It really is opening up our apertures to different things that who we are, you know, who we really are and who other people really are beyond kind of the surface of our personalities and our judgments and our perceptions and, and um, you know, all the, all the multiple associations we have uh, with ourselves and with people based on life experiences. It really takes you beyond that to a world that, um, it, it just allows you to feel things, to be more compassionate, to have different filters than, uh, than what we're used to from the kind of binary judgment mode that we tend to grow up in. Definitely. And there's a joy in, in then being able to see that in others that you're working with, see that change as well for them and that awakening happen. Mm-hmm. And you've worked with very successful, influential leaders in, in companies like Sony Pictures, NBC Universal, Snapchat, HBO, Lionsgate, mm-hmm. Disney, Warner Media. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's amazing. 
But do you find that these clients have common obstacles? Are they struggling with the same things of not feeling fulfilled or they they identify themselves as their title or as their job as well? Is it similar? It's very, it, it, it really is. It's very similar. You know, everybody has some version of the I'm not good enough wound, uh, some sense of feeling inadequacy that gets triggered in certain situations. And these are leaders at the very top of the industry that still have these vulnerabilities. And in some cases, you know, like me, it, it becomes this great motivator to prove that you're more than you think you are. But it just doesn't satisfy you at the end of the day. And um, I have been able to work with people that get off what I call the performance track a little bit earlier in their career and move into a sense of, you know, feeling inherently worthy. And then as they prosper in their careers, it's coming from more of an authentic place, more of a creative place and less about proving yourself. And when people are able to move into that more authentic self and the motivator is really expression of self versus proving of self, it's amazing how their careers take off. And again, they catch that flow and they are lifted quite quickly to some pretty profound uh, levels. Mm. But your own healing took many, many years, I imagine, before you started helping others and and coaching. So how long did that take? And can you tell me a little bit about the process? I understand you started having feelings for your therapist, feeling like she was a mother figure that was perhaps replacing what you didn't have. I'd, I'd love to know a little bit more about the process and how you then understood what your purpose was. So, yes, great question. The, um, the process itself, the, the, the book, the messages, the, the story from the inception of I can't get out of my car to the end uh, was about, and the end being truly a, a truly awakening time experience, was about a three-year journey. And that was the majority of really kind of moving through the repression and feeling it. The, what you had alluded to the relationship with the therapist, you know, that it's controversial in the sense that she really opened her heart to me. And in turn, I was able to open my heart to her. And it was probably the first time I really deeply trusted another person and, um, and really came to just deeply love her. In this story, the therapist, obviously, I'm, uh, she has become a mother figure. I am in the thick of abuse. And the abuse was not just by my father, but he had put me in this molestation ring with three other men. So it, it really just got pretty dark as far as that's concerned. Uh, but the point of the story is not that, of course, but this source of healing that as bad as that was and as damaging as that was, your soul is always trying to heal you and connecting you with the people and the places that can move you through uh, experiences that will help you release it. And with her, I uh, came to recognize the uh, therapeutic tool of transference, which is really, we will take our 
feelings from our childhood and transfer it onto or project it onto um, a current situation. And it's in those current situations that we can heal from the past. And when I found that out, which was um, through an experience with her, I was able to then use that and say, okay, these feelings I have for you really have much more to do with how I felt about my parents at the time. And then that kind of gave me a portal into my past that for the most part had been banished from my mind. And it allowed me to get in touch with those feelings. Now, of course, with the feelings came the memories and the, you know, the the physical experiences and and all of that came back as well. Uh, But it certainly gave me my feelings in the current relationship gave me access to that, which I think is the gift of relationships. And I think that's, you know, the point of therapy. Uh, So it was. I, it was really the, the the main tool. One of the messages that I had received was that when I saw her soul, I would see my own. Wow. Meaning that the therapist, if I continued to use these transferences, there would be a time when I would see my soul in hers, or I would see my soul, yes, in her. And I knew that was true. As soon as I received that message, like all of them, it was, you know, when you have a truth, it's just such a knowing and it was alarming. I didn't actually want, I didn't want a lot of these messages. It wasn't like, yes, I want to do that, (laughs) (laughs) but I knew it was true. So I had to continue. Now she, uh, during the course of it, leaves her practice and leaves the country. And I don't have any access to her whatsoever, but I still know that I have got to continue using that um, reflection, if you will, to get me back to alignment with my own soul. So it was it was really an interesting journey. And again, I kept receiving what I needed to help me understand it until it finally did come into fruition. Uh, but that was over the course of the three-year journey. And it sounds like these messages were mostly to you, not messages to pass on to others, kind of like keeping you going, keeping you moving from one step to the next step. When did that change and you have a vision of what the world would actually look like if we didn't heal, if we didn't change and stop what's happening? It changed after really towards the end of the journey. So it was clear that I was going through a cleansing of my own life and getting to a place where I think I could align and receive that kind of message. So it was after all of that and the cleansing itself became much more intensified. I could feel different energy shifts in my body and different people came into my life. There was, um, I actually had an experience that I, I didn't know what it was called at the time. It was called a a Kundalini experience. It came on abruptly and it was sort of opening up the chakras in my body. Again, kind of things that were unfamiliar to me, Mm -hmm. but at the time I was uh, with a woman who I had recently reconnected with at a a high school friend's wedding. And it was the, the groom's mother and she was a professor of a retired professor of genetics from San Diego State. And she'd been studying the process of spiritual awakenings for the past 20 years. And I happened to be with her at the time that this was happening. 
And when it happens, I was opening up very quickly. My conscious, uh, my consciousness was, was, was expanding very quickly. So I was experiencing what they call as, um, sort of you, you lose your ego boundaries and I could see that we were all connected as one entity. And it was also very hard physically and mentally because I didn't have control over this. And I said, you know, something's happening to me. So she, you know, said, come with me, went back to her house, pulled different books from her shelf saying, you know, this is the Kundalini kind of opens this time. It prepares you for a divine encounter. And these are some of the things that you can do to nurture this stage, which also has been considered the dark night of the soul. And she showed me in different texts, Hindu, Christian, Buddhist, <clears throat> this experience. So it, she helped normalize it for me, if you will, yeah. which was such a gift in itself, because had I been home and and experiencing, you know, the rapid heartbeat, the different uh, images, the feelings as it goes through the shocker, you know, you've you've. One moment it's sexual fantasies, the next it's survival tear, the next it's this incredible loving sensation, and then you know a vision of the connectedness. I, you know, I think I would have been thrown in a psych ward. <laughs> yes, it's like you've had your hand held with someone to guide you every time something scary came along that you could have easily have said, "Okay, this is me going crazy" or "This is abnormal." You've had exactly. someone to say, "No, this is." Um, you know, an awakening or no, this is normal. This happens in Kundalini. Yep, exactly. And so, mm -hmm. you know, at that point, it, all of it was so undeniable because of the circumstances I was always in to normalize what was really, to me, you know, so outside of the realm of my life and my experiences. Uh, it was such a gift having her during that time. But she then sat down with me and she said, you know, this is a preparation for a divine encounter. And that couldn't have scared me more. Mm. And, you know, most people would go, oh, that's great. I, I you know, I want to have that one-on-one -on -one with God. But for me, you know, when you come from trauma or abuse, particularly from a parental figure, the idea of a higher power was something that was going to hurt, destroy you, annihilate you. And that's how I felt. And I was absolutely terrified to have that encounter for those reasons. And that's when, you know, I had returned after meeting with her to the therapist and, you know, to unpack that, uh, because again, we are projecting onto other entities and we project onto any kind of higher source as well, often dependent upon, you know, the experiences in our childhood to our first higher power, which is our parents. So it was, it was very difficult. But again, it was happening. I, I didn't have a choice. It was happening. Mm -hmm. I came home from that. I went through a couple of weeks of being very aware that I, I was sort of in the final rents of the, of the cleaning, of the cleansing. So there were certain things of foods that I couldn't tolerate. Uh, and I was, it was a very light foods. And then for a day or two, I could just have just the lightest proteins and, and water one Friday morning, right towards the end of this, my husband and my son had left to go on a fishing trip. And so I was home with my two daughters and they were you know, six and two at the time. And I woke up that morning that they left and I fell back asleep and I, I had these images of snakes intertwined and they were all around my house. And I called the therapist and I said, you know, this is getting 
<laughs> out of this hand. Is, yeah, this is getting a, a little odd. Uh, and I said, you know, now I've had this, I said, is that sexual abuse? And she said, no, she goes, I don't think you're in individual consciousness anymore. The snakes intertwined is, is man and the divine connected. And, and they were bow constrictors. They were big snakes and they were not threatening. They were just mm -hmm. intertwined all around my house in this dream. And she said, I said, you know, I, I don't like this, Judith, this is scaring me. And she said, you know, just hang on. Uh, you know, you've been prepared for this. I'm here all weekend. Call me if you need it. So that weekend it started and I could feel myself being lifted up, if you will. It's almost like uh, I, I equated it to being in a high speed elevator. It was like I was going up very quickly. And at times I was a little lightheaded and I could just feel my consciousness changing and shifting. And that night, that first night I had, uh, I was, I had tucked my six-year-old in and we were reading a story and I was you know, sort of calming myself by reading this story to her. And all of a sudden I turned and I looked at her and she just lit up. I mean, you could see she was almost like this bright, bright light and she started to giggle. And I, I said, you know, honey, what's, what's going on? You look so happy. And she turned to me and she said, mom, God just opened my love box. <gasps> and I, it was so beautiful because I was so afraid of what was about to happen because I knew something was about to happen. Yeah. And I looked at her and I said, did it hurt? And she goes, no, this is the most wonderful feeling in the world, mom. And I knew that she was getting caught in the same levels of consciousness that I was getting pulled up into, mm -hmm. but her experience was just love. And mine was, you know, imbued with this fear of what, what was going to happen. Oh, so that's that, beautiful. It's like yeah. she's the next person that came and held your hand and said, that's, you know, this stage seems scary, but it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay, mom. Exactly. And uh, then that night I was woken at, you know, I, I did fall asleep. I was awoken at three in the morning and it was, uh, it was very clear to me because the message came through that inaudible voice uh, saying, get up. And I sat up and it said, be pre prepare yourself to write. And so I grabbed a journal. I was fully awake. There was nothing, um, there was nothing delusional about it. It was very crystal clear and the light, which had led me at certain points came back. So I felt that I could see the image of it. And, uh, I felt my head expand and it was an odd feeling in that I equated it to childbirth and that the top of my head felt like it was dilating to a 10, like that of a cervix. And I felt the dilation in my head, which is, was uncomfortable. And then, uh, the message began. So that same experience happened over three nights, which, you know, gave me these three paragraphs, if, if you will, in each of those encounters. And <clears throat> for the most part, I will tell you, it was good news. Uh, the first night well, was, was very, good to hear. <laughs> yeah, it was good news. It was, it, you know, as, as frightened as I was, the first night was, uh, you know, it, it was, it was positive in its tone, although I was afraid when I received it. <laughs> so mm -hmm. if that makes sense. The tone of it was that, you know, we have begun this evolution. And I think that many of us intuit that today anyway. Remember, this is 25 years ago, that this evolution of our consciousness has begun and that we will receive what we need to make this passage safely. And uh, that this was a good, it was an announcement 
that our liberation was near. So that was that was sort of the first night, the the, the theme, if you will, of the first night. The second night was uh, again very positive in the sense that uh, it was a, a delicate time, but we were to take care of each other now. That it was important for us to begin our healing, and that to not follow any type of judgment. I am not uh, again. I. Uh, you know, I'm not an antichrist person, but there was an antichrist message in the sense that it said, um, you know, follow the leaders and one will not be of me, meaning of God. And that one was very strong and that there was the tone of it was do not follow prejudice, do not follow prejudice. Prejudice will only hurt you. So that was sort of a warning, if you will, that someone is going to emerge that will have judgments and we are not to follow any kind of judgments. So was that the only clue that was given to you as to who the phony one is? That was it. And I recognized it afterwards. I'm like, okay. And I, you know, I was taking these to my therapist every day and I could see, okay, that was, you know, what that was. Uh, But it was very clear. It was reiterated three times and loud. Do not follow judgment. It will only hurt us. So that was pretty profound in that sentiment. And again, you know, we've heard that before. That's not new new news, uh, but it's still out there. The third night was the most difficult for sure. And that instead of the, you know, I was Awoken, I was told to write, but instead of that, the words coming out, the first thing I was shown was a vision. And it was a very, very apocalyptic, horrific, you know, literally millions of souls leaving the earth very quickly. And in that, uh, I was so scared. I just curled up in a little ball and I just felt like a terrified little animal. And then the inaudible voice came in very clear and it said, this is not necessary. There is time to change. There is time to avoid that type of ending. Uh, There was time to learn, to love now, to breed the healthy, the strong. There was time to avoid the apocalypse. So that to me was the best news of all because that scene that I saw was horrific, but it was very clear that we have a choice, that we can choose a different trajectory and that the final crossing, if you will, into this new consciousness, which I believe will be the awareness that we are all connected, uh, can be a gentle change. And it said that there's time for a gentle change. Uh, and, and, And that was really the most positive part of all of this, was that if we truly do learn to love ourselves and others now, if we attend to our own healing, if we listen to our internal messages and, and we allow the energy inside of us, that soul energy that is wanting true expression in the world to come out and heal us and heal others, we will get to a world that is, for the most part, void of a lot of the uh, difficulties and tragedies and the things that we suffer from today. It, it, we are moving in a good, positive direction. It's just there's going to be a difficult path. And then different variations of that, depending on what choices we're making today. Definitely. And I think we need to see 
the possibility of how bad it could be for us to wake up. And I think things like heat waves that have happened or COVID um, woke people up a little bit to think, oh, now we seriously have to do something about climate change. But if it doesn't last long enough, if, if the vision isn't scary enough, I think people then go back to what they're used to and they don't take it seriously again. Right. And I think that is necessary for us to to know what the alternative is if we don't do something about it. But it's one thing to be a guru sat in a temple receiving these messages or a prophet receiving these messages, but it must be 10 times, a million times harder being a mum in a modern world living a normal day-to-day existence to be receiving these messages and to be going through this. How did this all affect you and your family life? How did you get through it? Well, it was difficult for sure. Um, and it's, to be quite honest, it's a bit of a, a bit, it's a burden. Uh, you know, this is um, receiving that kind of message and and really just being a mom mm. and and a businesswoman and uh, you know a wife at the time it, it it it's difficult to assimilate and it's not really relatable you know you can't go to the bunko group and say hey you guys <laughs> I got this message yeah, <laughs> and I, I want to talk about today. it <laughs> yeah exactly I don't think I'd be invited back to that bunko group <laughs> so you know given my um, suburban life it has been something that's been you know difficult to carry mm. and difficult to communicate. But I, and, and again, you know, a, a bit of a burden it has been for the past 25 years because, you know, I wrote it. I, part of the messages was to write the book. I wrote the book. I put in the messages. I um, self-published that first book way back then, sold a couple hundred copies, just couldn't really get out of my way. But my, the sense was it wasn't time yet. And um, so I really just, you know, the only messages I was getting then is focus on raising the kids, which I did. And then it wasn't until COVID hit where I recognized, you know, COVID's just a shot over the bow. And uh, I, I knew that I had to come back and, and tell the story again, because we're so close now that um, I, I, I had to really communicate this in the best way that I can at this stage of my life, which, um, you know, which is a little bit easier since the kids are grown. How has it affected my family? Uh, you know, so much has affected my family. I, I think certainly the depression, the abuse, um, the separation from my parents, all of that really impacted my family much more so than the messages themselves because, you know, that the kids weren't mm. really um, affected so much by that as they were the healing process and, you know, what was happening to their mom during that three-year period of time, which, you know, abuse re reverberates through so many generations. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're certainly to some extent feeling the effects in my family of that now, mm -hmm. uh, at all ages. Uh, but you know, all I can do, uh, you know, our family's very close. So you, you break the bonds in the past that were unhealthy and we continue to create healthy bonds with the generation we're in. And my kids are actively participating that on with that on, on many levels and with their children. So it, we yeah. are. And it's always healthier to have spoken up about it, been open, share, instead of keeping it a hidden secret. 
Absolutely. Yeah. It is out in the open and everybody has their respective reactions to it and, um, and their res- respective reactions to my parents who are still living. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, it, it creates for an interesting family dynamic. I yeah. Wow. And Dawn, you're an active member for Step Up, a nonprofit mentoring organization supporting teens in low income areas. How did that come about? Yes. You know, it was, it was just the right fit for me. It came about, uh, in my work in the entertainment industry, uh, a a previous client of mine had called me up and said, you know, I think, I think you, you would really connect with this board. And I met with some of the board members and it was just like meeting with, you know, longtime sisters. We immediately connected and I went to the first mentoring day which was several young girls uh, in very low income areas in Los Angeles. And we met and we talked and we engaged in conversation. The talent, the intelligence, the insight, the heart of these young 13, 14, 15 year old girls was so overwhelming that, you know, halfway through the day, you wonder who's mentoring who. Yeah. And, being part of that energy and part of the emotional social education that uh, Step Up was providing at the time and still is, was just so powerful that it was it was a no brainer for me. I'm like, yep, I'm signing up and I'll help in any way I can. So the program itself continues to expand during the uh, obviously the pandemic affected it because we were on-site in schools with after-school programs. A lot of it went online. We're back on uh, on campus again. Reese Witherspoon just gave us a huge contribution to the organization, and we just opened another uh, on-site in Nashville. Uh, we're also in Chicago, New York, Texas, California. It's just a really uh, powerful group of women supporting this next generation because this next generation is the key, uh, allowing them to be who they are, helping, giving them the tools that I was learning at 30 and 40 to be able to have those tools as a teen, to be able to, you know, uh, one of the statements at Step Up is, what do you need to do to be who you already are? Wow. And that was so powerful. It's absolutely, I'm behind any organization that is going out to young uh, you junior high, high school, girls, boys, anybody to say, what do you need to do to be who you already are? It's such a great way to frame uh, a growth path, a trajectory, a career path, and helping them to understand you already know you have this inside of you. There is, you know, those seeds that that DNA is waiting to blossom inside of you that is innate. Each of them are the resource that we need to manage the world that we're, we have to navigate over these next 30, 40, 50 years. And it's, it's the kids. We really need to protect them. We need to keep them safe and eradicate abuse wherever we can, because abuse is a soul killer mm-hmm. and we need who they are. And I'm they sure were born to be. you received that message as someone who knows what it's like to be abused as a child, to protect other children and to give 
that support and understanding for them to be a new healthy generation where we all speak up, we all protect them so that they can really save the world for, you know, what's to come to make it a better world. And I think that one message to you of just bring up your children, focus on that. We maybe take that lightly. We don't see that it's a huge heroic job compared to all these fancy things we're seeing on Instagram of people achieving and doing. But in fact, it's the most important thing, I think, if that is the only message that we take from this and spread that is to absolutely I couldn't agree more you know that the the brunt of this transition will fall on this generation and we've got to give them the tools they need you know um a strong nervous system because it is demanding and to have a strong nervous system you've got to have that core sense of self and core love and compassion and experiences in your world that help reflect your goodness so that they don't spin off and create stories about themselves that are not true and that are damaging to themselves and potentially damaging to others. We need to support their goodness, their core. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. yes, it's, it is no small feat to just simply take care of the kids and to provide them with the tools that they need. Dawn, thank you so much. It's been wonderful talking to you. And I think you're so brave to have managed to get through all of this and be helping others now like you do. And thank you. I wish you all the best. Thank you for being on Breaking Free today. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Breaking Free, please share it with your friends or on your social media platforms. And of course, I'd really love it if you can subscribe, rate or review the show. You can reach me directly at raniacurdy.com if you would like to ask a question, comment on what you heard today or find out how I can support you on your journey.